Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right, Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com joining us in studio right now. Brandon, you brought your notebook. What's up? Um, we have a lot to cover with the Mariners, so um, I guess let's start with uh, what was, uh, I guess, capturing your attention most. What do you have ready for us? What well, are these, I know you guys notes? wanted to, you know, we, we had Julio on the station earlier this we morning. We did. Sock down in Peoria. Yes. And I, you know, it's always cool to talk to Julio, catch up with him. Didn't really hear a whole lot from him this offseason. Uh, busy guy, obviously, the face of Topps baseball cards and all that. He's got a lot <laughs> going for him. But, uh, I mean, with all that, I mean, one of the things that I found really interesting was, was him talking about, like, Handling superstardom because, you know, he's, he's 22 years old. All of a sudden he signs a contract that could pay him almost $500 million. <laughs> he's doing all these commercials and endorsements, and uh, he's got a good guy to lean on in Ichiro. I thought it was really interesting that Ichiro told him, like, hey, don't worry about what the outside noise is saying. Like, just just worry about what you're doing. Don't worry about changing for other people. And, you know, it's really well-spoken, and Julio's a young guy, but I, I think that a lot of, you know, w- what you hear from him, like, he kind of gets it. He he gets the expectations that come with it. He's the face of the franchise. I think he kind of understands what he needs to be doing with all that. B man, when we uh, when we look at spring training, we we're talking off air. You mentioned Marco <laughs> got lit up. He's still going to be on the roster, right? We got um, Teoscar Hernandez going yard. If you didn't go yard, he's still going to be on the roster. Yeah, that, so guy, when, that guy could go over, and it's like, exactly. yeah, I know he's going to be in right field opening day. So for the average fan, when they are watching these games, obviously you're rooting for your team to win, but the wins aren't the the end of everything what should they be looking at give them some some tips on how to watch these games i mean personally i i always really like watching some of the younger guys uh perlander barroa and bryce miller are two of the mariners top pitching prospects i really like seeing what they're doing because it's probably not in the cards for them to break camp but they're two guys that you hear scott talk about it like they're going to be probably counted on down the line so I, that's something I, I always like to look at last year it was julio like is he going to make is he going to break camp is he not the year before it was jared kelnick <laughs> logan gilbert cal Raleigh. Like, are those guys going to break camp? Or are they going to start in minor leagues? Uh, that That's kind of part of what I like to look at um, with, with the pitching side of it. You know, guys are kind of, you know, not going through the motions, but they have certain things that they're working on. And that doesn't necessarily mean like they're going out there trying to get outs. They're working on certain things. Robbie Ray gets the ball today. He's working on that split finger uh, pitch that he's trying to implement as that third offering behind his fastball and slider. So seeing how that works out for him in game action, uh, more so than just the the results itself, I think is something that you should be looking at. And younger guys like Kelnick, like Evan White, mm-hmm. do they have their timing? And uh, with, with Kelnick, you know, he hit the two home runs the other day, and you go back and you look at kind of the the grid, the strike zone grid. They're center cut fastballs, like, and you should be hitting those. But those are pitches that 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 Jared Kelnick was not hitting last year. Uh, th- those are things that he wasn't, you know, he didn't have his timing down. He didn't have that confidence. He wasn't going out there and hammering mistakes. So seeing guys go out there and you know hit hit the mistakes that are out there because I think on the pitching side, especially especially so early in spring training, guys are just trying to kind of get their footing going and 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 really get into a groove. And they're not going all out. We saw a ton of years where Felix could, would go and just get shelled throughout spring training. Then he goes and tosses like seven scoreless in a right. <laughs> so you know, so some of it matters, some of it doesn't. You right. kind of got to take a lot of it with a grain of salt, and that's you know part of what's fun about it. It's an important conversation oh, though, sure. right? Because you see, you know, if, if you see a club that you know is great 
play really well, you think, oh, God, is this indicative oh, yeah. of something? And you have to remind yeah, yourself. Yeah, yesterday, uh, Curtis and I were in the sports Watching pit. Houston? We, no, we were, we were watching Cincinnati oh, and the Dodgers. Yeah. Dodgers and since, yeah. yeah, Cincinnati's just terrible. And, yeah. and, and they go out there and they win like 8-1 or something. It's like, oh, man, Curtis, I don't Dodgers know about these Dodgers. Cook, and the Reds oh, are on Gavin the rise, Lutz. right? Like, no, that's yeah. not what's going to happen. LA's going to win 100-plus games. And since he's going to finish last in the NL Central, probably. <laughs> oh, God. Um, uh, I wanted to talk about some of those younger guys with um, – Bray, it's like, okay, well, he's probably going to start with Arkansas. With Harry Ford, he's still a ways away. And then there are guys where it's like Evan White. And Evan White isn't a young guy to me. He's a guy that's been with the club. It didn't work out. And I'm still trying to figure out, like, where he fits. Is he someone where it's like maybe he gets a chance in the outfielder at first if there's an injury? Is he someone that you're expecting to spend time with the club this year? I mean, where does right. he kind of fit? He's he's kind of one of those wild card guys because if, if Evan White is healthy and is kind of close to what they expected him to be, because remember, they gave him – you know, not not a huge contract by any means, but they gave him a more financial commitment than than really anybody else when he hadn't played a game above Double A before the 2020 season. So if he's somewhere close to that guy, like that, that changes a lot. He's an extra right-handed bat, can play first base, can play outfield, can can help Ty France get off his feet, maybe play some more DH because we know Evan White when he's healthy is probably the best defensive first baseman in baseball, and, and that's saying a lot. Um, but he's also somebody who has played like. 30 games in the last two years, really. And he, he played some minor league games late last year and got shut down again, hip injury. So he's, he's trying to work his way back. I, I don't think that he's somebody that will probably break camp with the team. I think that it's probably a situation where they're going to want him to go to Tacoma and play for a month and, and try to play three, four games in a row, really get his footing under and make sure he is healthy and ready to to play the long haul before he you know really comes up and, and helps this team. Um, but but it is good to see him playing game action, playing some first base, working with the outfield, uh, so, and, and obviously hammering a big home run the other day. Like That's all really promising, but I don't think that he'll I don't think he'll be on the opening day roster. I think he'll start in Tacoma. So listening to the uh, the morning show as I made my drive into Seattle, and they are just enamored with this kid, Bryce Miller, thinking that <laughs> maybe he can come in as a reliever later on the season. They compared him to Brash. What's your scouting report on this kid? Yeah, M- Miller's a fun dude. Like, he, for a guy that was drafted, you know, fourth round is still pretty early for, for you know, for any draft like with baseball and whatnot. But at the same time, you hear DePoto talk about it's like, yeah, going into that year, we thought maybe he was a first-round, second-round guy, and they were lucky to get him in the fourth round. Uh, big fastball, big slider. Uh, one of the big issues with him coming out was, hey, is he going to have the control to be a starter? And he pounded the strike zone as a starter, high A, double A, like uh, missing bats uh, and and all that. His fastball is electric. He's somebody that can absolutely go and, and be a high-leverage guy probably as soon as this year, late this year. But mm-hmm. at the same time, if, is a high leverage guy more valuable than a back end starter? Probably not. And he's showing that he can be a starter. So you kind of have that tough that tough balancing act of like, okay, do we think he can help the big league roster in a meaningful way in a in a contention run uh, in the bullpen this year, or do we want to keep his development online to potentially be a starter? And hey, if a guy goes down, two guys go down, he might be that guy. So it, it, it is a tough it's a tough act to kind of balance and whatnot. And I think that ultimately, just based on what he's shown so far. 
yeah, he can be a starter, so maybe they do need to kind of keep him in the minor leagues as that starter stretched out because, hey, if, if Marco goes down and like and Gilbert goes down, for instance, that's two guys. Flexen's probably that sixth guy right now, assuming he's still on the roster. Bryce is probably the next guy after that. It's still really early again. We were just talking with you like two questions ago about how you can't read too much into spring training yet. My question does require a little bit of that, so it's a little <laughs> unfair, but um, you know, we have some sound we're going to get to later from Scott Service about whether mm-hmm. or not this should be a club that other teams are fearing do you think they should be fear like it should the mariners be feared by well, other teams I, I, you know interpret that however you yeah. want brandon fear by whom could be yeah, part right? of your answer <laughs> you know right are they it, are the astros fearing them maybe not but i don't I think mean, the astros are fearing anybody right I don't, now. but that's the thing it's like well i mean so who who are they um you know who who are they imposing to? Yeah, right. I mean, are they a club that can be better than they're given credit for, or yeah, are they sure. a club that has some question marks? Yeah, I mean, they they have a little bit of question marks. I think that on the pitching side, they're about as solid as they can be. They have they have five to six quality big league starters. Their bullpen is really really good with some guys that are probably on the cusp of helping out as well. Um, the lineup still has a few question marks. You, I think they did get a lot better. Teoscar Hernandez and, and Colton Wong additions to that lineup um, over Mitch Haniger, who was banged up a lot last mm-hmm. year. And Adam Frazier didn't give you a whole lot. Like, yeah, you're you're getting some marketable improvement there. That I don't think that's that's a big question. But at the same time, you know, are, are they? Do they scare the Yankees? I don't. I wouldn't say that the Yankees are afraid of the Mariners, but I would say that you know the Mariners can easily go head to head with the Yankees and win a series against them. We saw that multiple times last year. Uh, I, I think that when you're looking at the American League, it's very clear the Astros are at the top, and that very next tier is probably where the Mariners are. It's like them, the Yankees, and and probably the Blue Jays and maybe the Guardians. So there, I think the Mariners are very comfortably in that second tier in the American League. I mean, if you're a team that's trying to contend for a wild card spot, you probably don't want to play against the Mariners, you know, and especially because of the way their pitching set up, you, you wouldn't want to face the Mariners in a, in a playoff series. Yeah. But as far as being feared, I think they, you know, you still got a little bit of ways to go. You, you probably need, a, you know, you need a guy like Kelnick to, to kind of click to make that lineup a little longer. And then that's when you'll have teams kind of be like, oh, no, <laughs> I don't know about these guys. Man, I keep hearing about this pitch machine is able to emulate <laughs> oh, it's yeah. cool. arm angle yeah, and release traject, angles and all that yeah. stuff. Tell me about that, and is that something we're going to see more of? I would assume that it's easier to use because you're in a controlled environment. PR, you're going to be there every single day. But once the season gets going, how often do you think they'll use this thing? Yeah, I mean, when when you have like Sh- Shannon wrote about it for the site over the weekend, it's really interesting, and I recommend people people go look at it. SeattleSports.com. Yeah, exactly. Because um, when when you're looking at the machine, I've seen some videos of it. It's really cool because it's like a big kind of sheet almost, and it has a pitcher like a live look at the pitcher going through their motion, and they change like the the hole or the slot where the pitch is coming out of, and they they can use different X, Y coordinates and, and spin rate and velocity and movement and whatnot uh, to be able to replicate pitches that somebody's throwing. Like you'll hear a lot about guys standing in against Verlander mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, it sounds like I think about five or six or seven teams, if I remember right, have kind of admitted they have this. Sounds like there might be more than that. Uh, but it's it's a really cool machine. But when when you read Shannon's story, it's like these guys aren't necessarily going in there and going like full at bat against this machine. They're kind of going in there to get their eyes ready before a start. So maybe it's something where uh, if they have one up here in Seattle before a start, like, OK, yeah, we're going against the Blue Jays and Kevin Gosman's on the mound. We're going to implement his stuff and just kind of go get a look at him before we're actually right. out there. I think that's more of what 
it is versus going out there and like trying to get like a full at bat against this machine. But but either way, it's it's really really cool, and it's uh, you know it, it, having the ability to kind of see a guy and see the arm and whatnot. I think does a lot better than just putting a ball in the jugs machine and kind of going out from. I there. like that it was used not just for hitters but for pitchers, like the Andres Munoz story. Oh, about yeah. it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, like like oh my god, I didn't realize I throw that. No, hard. really, like it's, it's they used it to be like, hey, Andres, you know you. You don't realize how good you are. We want you to face you. Yeah, like, right. Step into the box and look at how you pitch. Yeah, and that, that that's was entirely not what very it was used comfortable for. for him. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's, yeah, probably is really weird to see. Um, I, you know, I wanted to get back to Kelnick for just one moment since there are so many great and important pieces of this roster that we're going to be talking about all spring. Um, and we have no idea what Kelnick's going to be, but because of his potential and because of who we thought he might be, he's going to be a name that keeps popping oh, up sure. until he's not here in yeah. Seattle, right? He could completely <laughs> like fail this year and we'd still be talking about him uh, assuming that he would be back the year after I know that he's got one option remaining so this might be his last chance but um, you know you mentioned if if Kelnick can get it figured out then all of a sudden you are one of those teams that a lot of teams are fearing I mean what's your faith level in that happening? It's tough because you know, he he says a lot of the right things. You hear a lot of the right things about him. Like, okay, he went and worked on this. He's trying to get his mind right. He he tinkered with his swing. He's trying to be in the zone more. Like, but this is the third year kind of in a row that we've heard some of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's another of those like you know you kind of got to wait and see. And again, spring training baseball. He's hammering a fastball 430 feet away, but it's right down the middle from a guy who's probably just trying to get their timing right with their mechanics and whatnot. So again, you got to take a lot of that with a grain of salt. Um, what you know about Jared is he's going to try really hard. He's really intense. He's going to play really good defense for this team. And uh, God forbid something happens to Julio, he can slide over and play center field. But if he's able to stay in a corner outfield spot, he's a borderline gold glover in left or right field. So yeah. you, you feel pretty comfortable about that. Um, but they are setting him up for some decent success. Having him predominantly face right-handed pitching, that's probably the best landing spot that you could have for him at this point. Just go out there, worry about that, do your job, know that you've kind of got some some cushion behind you with A.J. Pollock and maybe Sam Haggerty, Dylan Moore, some of these other guys. Um, you know, confidence level, it's it's hard to say. Sure. Um, just because, again, like it, it's so tough to take what's happening in spring training baseball and apply it to what's actually going to happen come, come, I think, March 30th. I'll frame right? it. Is confidence level matters less than hope level. Oh, for sure. Right? <laughs> like hope level, the hope meter, very high. Yeah, because you, of the potential. Yeah, you've got to hope that that he gets it right sure. because he he's a guy that when he was coming up, a lot of yeah. people thought this guy's a, a potential multi-time All Star. He's rated higher than Julio. Yeah, exactly for for a lot of that. So. Uh, confidence level for me, you know, I'd probably say if, if it's out of 10, I'd probably say like a four. Again, he's saying a lot of the right things. He does look more comfortable. I think a lot of times he looked more stiff. He looked really robotic at times. Now I think he looks a little more relaxed, a little more loose, and hopefully that helps him. And having that, you know, have, having a more solidified team around him than he had when he first debuted in terms of the lineup, I think will help him a lot or should help him a lot. Uh, but but at the end of the day, you know, we're still about a month away from, from opening day and uh, a lot can change between now and then. He is Brandon Gustafson. Uh, we're going to let you go all the way back down the hallway to the sports pit. He walk. is a writer and editor for SeattleSports.com. If you guys are checking out the website or the news feed on the app, you are probably reading a lot of Brandon's work. Um, before I let you go very, very quickly, is there anything we should be expecting on the site today, later today, right now? What's going on? Yeah, we're, we're talking a lot of NFL draft. Uh, Wyman and Bob had, a, had an Alabama sideline reporter yesterday Saw talking that. about 
Bryce Young, uh, Will Anderson, two of the top guys in this year's class, obviously coming from the same team. And I think this will probably be coming out over the weekend, but he had kind of under the radar sneaky guy on the D line for this draft too, that I think people will be really interested in. Nice. Thank you, Brandon. Bye. You can leave now. I'm just kidding, Brandon. Just kidding. Great stuff from Brandon Gustafson. Again, you can read his work at seattlesports.com. This hour of Bump and Stacey brought to you by Muckle Shoot Casino. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bump and Stacey. Headline number one, the biggest story from the Combine. I think that's pretty safe to say over the yeah. next week or so. Uh, maybe out of sports today. Yeah, an arrest warrant <laughs> has been issued for top draft prospect Jalen Carter after being implicated by the Athens, Georgia Police mm. Department for street racing in a crash that took the lives of a Georgia teammate and a staffer. What's the real headline? Look, if he's not taking a bong hit, I don't know that I see him slipping. And you can feel however you want about this case, but I think it's clear that the NFL has a history of caring more about certain things over others. Yeah, and he wasn't directly responsible for someone's death. He did participate in an action that led to that. Yeah. Um, he probably didn't handle, him, handle himself the way he should have after that thing went down. He goes home. He comes back. He changed the story a little bit. Mm-hmm. We've all been in our 20s and made some dumb mistakes. I can attest to that. Me and my boys growing up, we were wild out there, man. And um, that's how I see. I feel for the human being first. Mm-hmm. And then I think that if he can do a good job talking to these GMs and head coaches, conveying his remorse of showing that he's hurt. He's a human. He made a mistake. He's going to be okay. I feel for the family of the two kids who, who died. Yes. Um, but end of the day, I'm with you. I don't see him falling too much. Like I said earlier, if he does fall, we won't know. Cause it might be just be one or two spots and something else happens in front of him. So it might look like he fell, but people are going to want Jalen Carter. Don't see him falling. And then also importantly, when I asked you and I agree with you, if Jalen Carter was at five, would you take him? It's, yeah, I mean, because I'm guessing if they take him that they found enough information yeah. that they feel like this was a mistake, not a bad person. Yeah, I'll take him. Yeah. Next up. Headline rewrites. Headline number two, the Kraken held on for a 5-3 to three win over the Blues last night. What's the real headline? A snap, but no noise. Here's what I mean. They snapped a three-game losing streak, but they're also pretty quiet ahead of Friday's trade deadline. GM Ron Francis told the team's official site he's constantly making calls, but bump, he said they like their team. They've shown they can win against anybody. Then he also said, I'm not afraid to make a move. So, so what does it mean, Ron? He, he's doing, he's saying, look. He's doing the John and Pete combine exactly. approach. Exactly. <laughs> he's at the combine saying, look. Look. I'm just kidding like Jason. <laughs> Unless, Unless you're going to do, do it. it. <laughs> that's what he's saying. And that's what he should do, right? Keep all options open. Um, we talked about goaltending as of late. Grubauer has been struggling. We've seen Jones have his struggles. Grubauer seems like he's bouncing back a little bit. You you lost your leading goal scorer. There are some ways that you can improve. But we talked to our insider, Andy Ide. He goes, look, I don't see a big move happening. Mm-hmm. If we do see a move, it'll be a minor little shakeup, but nothing too crazy. Headline rewrites. Headline number three, Aaron Rodgers addressed his playing future in a podcast with host Aubrey Marcus by saying, quote, I don't want to drag anybody around, end quote. What's the real headline? Unless it's the Packers. That's the part that you didn't see is I don't want to drag anyone around unless it's the team that's paying me. I'm totally fine dragging them around. Yeah, that's what Aaron Rodgers does, man. And You're you know tired what? of him. I'm tired of him, but I, I understand it. Sure. I mean, this guy is one of the best in the game, if not the best left quarterback in the game. He can move a bit differently, but this is just who he is. I respect him because he doesn't bend for anybody. He does what he wants to do. And I think 
He's earned that. As long as he is a four-time MVP and a Super Bowl champion, people are going to wait for his decision. Now, if he were a Jimmy Garoppolo trying to pull this off, they'd be like, man, go ahead and play the XFL, dog. We'll go ahead and move on. But it's Aaron Rodgers, man. He's annoying, but I get it. Can you... Can you imagine if a quarterback who was like just a you're a starter on a team with three other injuries is like, uh, you know, it's like a, a not even Jameis Winston or like Marcus Mariota, but like Brock Purdy, if Brock hadn't done anything like Nathan Peterman, he's like, yeah, you know, before I commit to uh, to re-signing with this team. I'm going to go ahead and go on a darkness retreat. And I don't want to drag anyone around. I don't want to make them and fans wait to see where I'm going to land. But I got to really think about this. Yeah. that um, You don't have that leverage, guy. <laughs> I would love to see it thrown around, though. Rogers does. Yeah. yeah. Would, would love, absolutely <laughs> love to see that. Um, we're going to get to uh, NFL headlines here. One big story and then a couple other things sprinkled in. We'll we'll probably get back to a little bit of the Jalen Carter stuff Um if, if there's more developments, I know he posted a statement, so I'll let you guys know what he said. We've got the sell, the story, the question coming up at 1245, looking at a couple other Mariners players. We looked at Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez. Um, we'll, uh, we'll look at uh, another starter and another position player here coming up in the sell, the story, the question. John Boyle is going to join us at one for some more Seahawks-specific feedback. We've been talking more at large about the Combine and some big stories in the NFL, talking about the Mariners, and uh, now we're only, God... Bump, we are less than two weeks away from the legal tampering period. Free agency is going to be here before you know it. Yeah, buddy. And John Boyle is going to join us to tell us what we can expect. Before we get to any of that, though, a new lawsuit against NFL Films will tell you what you need to know next. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross. A new report from the Wall Street Journal highlights a lawsuit filed against NFL Films. Here's what you need to know. Uh, a plaintiff named Victoria Russell, who's a former NFL Films HR employee, claims that she saw categories in the NFL Films system that included quotes like cheerleader buttocks, cheerleader rear end, close-up of cheerleader's breasts, cleavage shot, random woman cleavage shot, and more those descriptions from awful announcing. So what was happening is NFL Films was uh, archiving, saving, labeling um, footage of not just cheerleaders, but like random female fans in attendance, like close up shots of their uh, breasts or buttocks or whatever, uh, and then hiding it within the NFL film system. So it's not just like, oh, we had this footage from games. It's specifically um, labeling the frames as sensitive so that they uh, would not be accessible to employees um, who are trying to locate footage for production. So you are hiding this footage, archiving it, and making it accessible only to people who know it's there. I, I, so I tweeted that out. It's creepy. What about that isn't creepy? I'm not saying like, oh, it's inappropriate to look at a woman in the stands who you think is hot, but I'm sorry. You are labeling and hiding close-up footage of women's breasts in the NFL film system, I just think it's kind of creepy. Who's, first off, who's going, you shouldn't be keeping it. That's what I'm but saying. who are you telling, hey, man, there's an archive of there's women and all that stuff. Who's going to, what type of person goes a, out of their way person. to find that kind of stuff? Which is crazy. What kind of person keeps that kind of stuff? It's just weird to me, man. Well, okay, so this is why, this is why it's also weird. Because it's like oogling. And it's, look. 
in the most radio-friendly possible way that I can say this, if you wanted to see a naked person, you could find a picture of a naked person pretty easily. This is not necessarily, this is not about that. This is about having this footage that's kind of like this, like, ooh, look what we got that you're circulating with your friends. There's an element of voyeurism to it that is clearly really creepy. You know what I smell? uh, I smell Schneider all over this. Washington Commanders type stuff. This, That's what this I'm saying. The type of culture that is, is uh, some Commanders stuff. Well, and so some of the feedback, so there's a lawsuit against NFL Films right now being like, hey, you can't keep this archived footage of people who don't know they're being filmed. Like, I recognize that by showing up to a stadium, um, you know, you recognize you could be shown on the broadcast or you could be in the in-studio cam, right? Like, everyone recognizes that that's what happening happens in games. But if you show up to a game in August and you're wearing a tank top, and some cameraman zooms in on your chest and then shares it with all of his boys and, and uh, you know, you don't know anything that's happening. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I'm going to push back against the idea that, like, oh, you should just know that's going to happen. It's just boys being boys. Nah, because you're hiding the footage and you know it's wrong. Yeah. If it wasn't wrong, you wouldn't be hiding that. That's what I'm It'd saying. Be public information. Yeah. I'm just, I would very much like to push back against the idea that anyone reacting to it is being sensitive and instead say that uh, it's just kind of like a a weird gross thing to do. Anyways. Uh, so there's the lawsuit against NFL films that you need to know about. I am moving on to other NFL stories here. We mentioned it in the timeline, but let's get back to it. Jonathan Gannon, a new head coach for the Arizona Cardinals, speaking at the Combine, said, uh, you know, hey, it, it wasn't great seeing what happened in the second half uh, of the Super Bowl. It was a defensive collapse for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the Chiefs ended up scoring on all four uh, possessions, three touchdowns, one field goal. And these were big. I mean, these were wide open receivers. Bump, you pointed to it yourself. Um, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, a cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles, did the classic tweet and delete uh, saying that Jonathan Gannon maybe didn't put him in the right positions. Is it ever fair to blame a defensive coordinator for something like that? Yeah, it is. It is because that's your job. You know what I'm saying? It's to put these guys in position to make plays. But there's no coordinator that calls the right play every single time. There's no defensive coordinator that calls the right play every single time defensively. So what I say to him is make plays. You know, sometimes you line up and you're not supposed to get this football thrown to you. I'm speaking as a receiver and your quarterback throws it to you anyway. You know what? Make a play. Ballers make plays. Understand that you are behind the eight ball if you are in a call that's not advantageous to you. But I'm not I'm comfortable saying that you cannot go out there every single play and expect your coordinator to get it right every single time. Mm -hmm. Because as a football player, you are not going to grade out 100% on every single play, every single snap. So this has his humility. Did he make a couple garbage calls? I'm sure. Did you not make a play or two? I am sure that's the game of football. Uh, All right. Um, The NFLPA, which is the Players Union for NFL Players, surveyed 1,300 players and then came up with a report card for every single team. Um, It's based on uh, just a couple categories. uh, Treatment of families, Um, nutrition, travel, uh, the strength training staff, uh, and then strength training facilities. And uh, the Seahawks ended up, like, overall, I think they were 11th out of 42, um, just outside of the top 10, kind of middle of the road. They graded worst with travel. Uh, The first time I read this, it had just broken. Uh, I've been yelled at for not having all the details, but I was figuring it out on air. Um, (laughs) uh, So they have descriptions of what all of this is. Anyways, what I'm getting to isn't the Seahawks, it's the Bengals. Um, So the Bengals received a horrible grade with treatment of families, and we were wondering what was happening. This is from the overview posted by Seth Walder. 
The players who responded to the survey complained that there is nowhere warm and safe for mothers and kids to go during the game because the Bengals don't provide a family room, unlike the vast majority of teams. Um, players reported the wives then had to sit in the public restroom floor to nurse babies. You are an Goodness NFL gracious. team. What are we doing? Man, that's all bad. But it doesn't surprise me. It's the Cincinnati Bengals. It's the Marvin Harrisons. They're still over there. You still feel it. Yes. It's going to take them a while to change that. Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow are in the forefront when it comes to this. When you have mar- a marketable quarterback, a young head coach who's making moves, you do everything to facilitate the growth of that organization. So I would love to think that eventually the Cincinnati Bengals are going to get it right. I don't even play for the Seahawks. Whenever I get tickets or something because I work for them, the Seahawks take care of my peoples. My family's so spoiled now that they went to a game up in the upper decks. It and, freezing, and my kids were like, Dad, what, what, what's going on? <laughs> this what's going the on? I'm like, it's Thursday night football, man. Like, come on. I can, this is all I got. So, yes. Thank you, Seahawks. Bengals do better. I know. Um, the uh, Only 44% of respondents for the Bengals said that the they believe the club owner would be willing to spend money to make the facility better. He was ranked 29th in that category. The Bengals and Mike Brown are so fortunate that the Bengals ended up being a force in the AFC because do not forget that particularly in Joe Burrow's first season, they were like, so you're going to draft this guy and then get him killed because you have no protection around him. He obviously tore his ACL. I mean, this was a, this was an organization that was criticized pretty heavily, uh, specifically in like a top down kind of criticism, the way the commanders are until Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all these other guys took off. Like you are so lucky that they are successful. Captain save the organization. (laughs) Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow. Good for you. (laughs) That's exactly what we call them. Um, The uh, Seattle Seahawks uh, got bad marks. Uh, Their worst marks were in travel. Obviously, those are because of travel miles. They also got bad marks because they only get first-class travel when they travel back from victories. Mm. Uh, They are uh, one of just a handful of teams. I think there were eight organizations not to offer regular first-class travel. Um, That was the only poorly ranked category for the Seahawks. Do you know how... Bougie, you sound. Oh my God, that I'm, wasn't first class. Yeah. Only when they win, man, they get a whole row to themselves. I understand there's some like six, five, 300 pound dudes up in there. They should automatically have first class. But the most of these dudes are, you know, they can have a whole row to themselves comfortably. That yeah. sounds a bit much. A bit much. Um, nearly, again, this is from Seth Walder. Now, nearly every single team gave the strength staff a B or higher. Okay. So I want to say, like, if you got Better. a B or whatever, like the vast majority of teams, at least. Except. For two teams, the Falcons and the Ravens gave the strength staff an F minus. Okay, so we're going Falcons and Ravens. Lamar has some knee issues this year, right? Yeah, well, that's why I'm looking at it, wondering what's going on. Taking care of it. Lamar's like, look, this is even more ammo for Lamar. Hey, I got an F over there, man. You got to I need that guarantee because I don't know if you're going to take care of me. All right, you guys, that is our quick look around the NFL. Um, we're going to have John Boyle on to talk Seahawks at 1. Then we're going to get to some Scott Service sound at 1.30. Uh, before we get to any of that, though, um, yesterday I introduced the sell, the story, the question. When we look at a couple Mariners players and explain um, what makes him great, what his story's been or the story he's trying to write for himself, and then what's standing in his way. We looked at Jared Kelnick. We looked at Julio. We got a couple other names coming your way next. Don't go anywhere.
Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. The sell, the story, the question. This is how we're looking at a couple stars on this Mariners roster. We looked at Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, a couple other guys the other day. We're going to continue it today with another preview of two more players. Um, so here's how it works. The sell is exactly what makes this player so talented, right? How do you sell someone on this player? Uh, for some of these guys, it's pretty easy to figure out. Um, and the story is, well, what's been the story of his career so far? Okay. Sometimes it's two separate things. Sometimes in the case of Julio, it's the same. <laughs> right? We talked about that with Julio. The cell, he could be great. The story, he's been great. Uh, the question is the lingering things that we need to see or um, any obstacle that might be in his way or thing he might need to prove for 2023. Okay. Pretty simple. Um but this could go a number of ways, which is why I really, really like the setup. Uh, so I have a starter. You have a position player. Let's get to it. You want to go first? Sure. <clears throat> I'm going with my guy, A.J. Pollock. Now, mm, good pick. what are we doing? The sell first? I'm going to sell. sell A.J. to everybody. Okay. I have to sell him to myself, honestly, when I first uh, heard they picked this guy yeah. up. But here's the sell. He was born in December 1987. That's a great start. I was born in Number December one. in 1985. 80s baby. You know what I'm saying? Here's also the sell. This guy has been around winning baseball, um, played for the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers as well from 19 to 21. Guess what? He has an all, uh, excuse me, a World Series championship, and he was an all-star in 2015, along with having a gold glove in 2015 so you talk about a guy who knows how to win who knows what it looks like and has performed at a high level at some point in his career mm-hmm. at the age 35 it's not fair to expect that level of play but you can also mentor guys along the way so that's the sale now the story yeah the story is he's brought here to ball out against lefties he's out here to take some pressure off for our guy kelnick who's starting to figure things out physically and mentally i also think we should point out that um i'm listening to a bunch of these baseball guys do their thing on jared kelnick and nothing they pointed out is that look he's getting his foot down early and on time also he's changed where he's holding his bat like initially he was holding his bat a little more at 90 degrees up nice and high then he flattened that thing out when he flattened it down and rested it on his shoulder Boom, he's hitting dingers. Guess what he's doing during spring training? He's flattening that thing out a little bit. So I like to think, you know what? You got the mentorship with A.J. over there, 35 years old, played at a high level. He's here to take some pressure off of Jay. Can't say it. Jared Kelnick. Yeah, okay. I like Jay, though. That's kind of a like cool. Jay. Yeah, I would go Jay's by Jay good. if I was him. All right, well, with Jay, my, my <laughs> guy Jay. Um, so that's what he's here to do. Now, the question, the question is, can he hold up? It's 35 years old. How often are they going to use him? If Jared Kelnick does go into a slump and he's not figuring out, is he capable of holding down for the youngster in the meantime? He's a good uh, clubhouse guy. We hear service talk about that. Um, he's a veteran. He's got that leadership. It's just, can you hold up? At 35, we saw great health by this pitching staff. Right In the outfield, I feel like everybody took some time off at some point last year because of some injury, including Julio. Can that 35-year-old body hold up? Absolutely fair question, especially if that 35-year-old body ends up being more of your go-to in left field. Because with your left field platoon, you've got your right-hander, Pollock, who you said, and then the two guys competing in the left-handed part of your left field platoon with Tramel and J.K., uh, when Justin um, Hollander, who's the GM for the Mariners, joined us on Mariners Media Day, he was he was talking about the ramp for players. Right. And he was like, hey, you know, you want to make sure you leave a ramp for guys because if you never do that, you never end up getting Cal Raleigh. You never end up getting a guy that, like, has a slow start that eventually taps in and figures it out. So they want to leave a ramp for uh, both Tramel and uh, and uh, Jared Kelnick. Um 
And then he said, and, you know, what you do in the meantime is you have insurance. And A.J. Pollock is insurance. Yep. I think what I worry about is like, well, what if your insurance is not like a full coverage plan? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I would hate it if your insurance was a guy who uh, is going to be underperforming or dealing with injury. Like, you know, do you have true insurance or do you have someone who could be a right handed bat who can help out occasionally? So that's the one thing I worry about with AJ. I'm glad that yours was, you know, like, how's he going to hold up? Because if we're going to look at him as, hey, worst case scenario, you've got him. Let's make sure that he's not um, an, an even worse, worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, my, uh, sell story question is going to be on one of our starters. Um, mine's on Robbie Ray. So the sell is pretty easy. Easy. This is a Cy Young winner, right? It was like the sell for Julio. Easiest sell. Easiest sell. This is a guy who was a Cy Young winner, winner with Toronto, had an unreal whip of, uh, 104. Um, he was absolutely phenomenal and I don't look at his 2022 season as regression. So let's get to the story. The story is that he came to Seattle on this new long-term deal. He's, um, he's a leader here, right? Even though he's new, he's got to be one of the the leaders that you have as a guy with a longer-term deal. Um, the story, the too-long-didn't-read version was solid season, bad ending. The more lengthened version is that I wasn't disappointed by his season at all. Um, I think that if you look at his year in Toronto, obviously you had worse numbers in every category because you weren't a Cy Young winner and that's okay. Like it's going to be really, really hard to try to replicate that. He gave up a lot of home runs, right? 32 home runs, um, which obviously isn't phenomenal, but like, I'm okay with that three, seven, one ERA. ERA. I'm okay with your whip. Like I'm okay with, I'm okay overall with Robbie Ray. And I don't think that you are in the playoffs without Robbie Ray. Facts. Unfortunately for Robbie Ray, the lasting image we have of him in the playoffs is that home run given up to Jordan Alvarez. Yep. And so the question that I have for them, I am borrowing from your preview of him when we talked about some of the most interesting Mariners, which is can he bounce back from that? Mm -hmm. Can he have a palate cleanser 2023 season? And it's almost like he shouldn't have to, right? Like, He's put in that situation. Nah, it was a bad to. pitch. But but he what I'm saying to. is what's a bummer for Robbie Ray is the lasting image of Robbie Ray is not, in my opinion, reflective of Robbie Ray's season. No, I agree. I agree. That is um, that's a tough place to come back from. And uh, there's a reason why they put him in that position, too. Right? It's not just, all right, let's just throw Robbie out there. Things transpired before that to where the Mariners probably had a plan set. Oh, for if sure. A, B, C, and D happen, we got to go to Robbie, and yeah. they just happen to go go to Robbie and put him in that position. I think a lot of us felt when Robbie came in, you saw that matchup, like, this ain't going to be good for Robbie. I truly, when I say my heart was in my like throat, like I thought that I was going to throw up. I was like, this doesn't feel good. I don't like this. No. I don't like this hard contact. <laughs> I don't like Jordan versus Robbie Ray, but you're right. The Mariners had a plan. They had something they wanted. This wasn't Scott Service being like, you know who I'm feeling right here? <laughs> you know what would be you know, fun? I had a dream about Robbie last <laughs> yeah, night. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go on a whim and pick Robbie. No, absolutely not. Right? X, Y, Z happened. Then you go with, you know, this plan that you have. You know, you prepare for this moment. It didn't work out. But you're right. It didn't work out. And that's in part because of Robbie Ray. So you got to undo it. Yeah. And and Robbie understands that. I forgot who he spoke with. I want to say it was probably the morning show. Right? Um he said, he pointed that out himself, that moment, 
that look. Yeah. I have to do better. I have to do better in those moments. I was prepared to be in that moment. It was not a surprise, surprise for him that he was in that moment. He just has to execute. And he has such a history of execution that I think it's safe to assume that he's going to bounce back from that moment and create more moments earlier in the season that um, that make you feel a bit better about how you view him. Yeah, the 206, Robbie Ray is a bum. Like, he's not, though. Like, this is exactly why I like this conversation. He's one year removed from a Cy Young Award. That's what I'm saying. Are you mad he's not a Cy Young winner? Are you mad he didn't have this, like, astronomical season? What are you mad about? Been like, you're not in the playoffs without the pitching that you had when your hitting yeah. was absolutely god-awful. There's been, what, maybe like 60 pitchers total in baseball history that have ever won a Cy Young Award? I like just seventy. Was Robbie Ray me? phenomenal? Was he phenomenal in the playoffs? <laughs> no. Are you in the playoffs without Robbie Ray and Luis Castillo? No, you're not. And think of what Robbie Ray was from like June first to the start of September. He was unhittable. Well, there was a moment when it was like, "Is Robbie Ray going to throw a no hitter tonight?" Like that was <laughs> yeah. every night. God, it's just again like he's going to have a guy that's a he's not high risk high reward. But, like, if you're a guy who's going to give up some hard hits and give up home runs, that's always going to be a threat there. Yeah. But, again, one of your better arms. He's your number two guy right now. Let's see if George Kirby can surpass him. When we get to Kirby for this, that'll probably be one of his questions. Can he be your number two guy? Um, But for Robbie Ray, I am rooting for him. I know you are, too. Yep. Uh, All right. We are going Seahawks. John Boyle, uh, writer for Seahawks.com, is going to join us. We're getting back into X's and O's with four down territory. Hearing from Scott Service at 130. Don't go anywhere.